I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. You know what looks good on my shelf? What? Turkey dinner! <laughs> gobble, gobble! <laughs> Go for it. I like it. <laughs> it's a musical theater. More musical theater. I'm on board. Let's do it. <laughs> now, the question is, can I, can I do the dance? But Donna uh, McKechnie and they all did. It's like crazy. It's like... No one can see it. No one can I'm, see it, so it doesn't matter. It's a podcast. This is, I, this is I did really it good. This is really good entertainment for an audio medium. <laughs> we are killing it. I am amazing. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our, our, our little podcast here. Uh, this, as as I'm sure you're well aware, this is uh, Campfire Classics, a dance podcast. <laughs> Only for those tuning in on our video feed, which we don't <laughs> have yet. So. <laughs> but I guarantee you I did that dance perfectly, so you're welcome. That's, that's a song from Promises, Promises just in case you want to look it up and hear what it actually sounds like. You know why I know that song? Why? Well, I know that song because musical theater, but I know it mainly from the movie Camp. <laughs> <laughs> when they do the, like, when they do that production. And Oh, Camp. I know. It's a silly, the if you're a theater nerd, you know the movie Camp. It's a very campy it's movie. campy. <laughs> it's not the best acting all the time, but uh, it is Anna Kendrick's, like, first big thing, and she's pretty amazing <laughs> have we talked about camp before i don't think so no how did that happen we've, we've talked I know about we've camp, talked about camp before we've not but... talked in front of these these lovely gentlemen um, and ladies and all in between all right that <laughs> surprises me for some reason i've i've got to imagine but uh maybe not yeah maybe i uh no never talked about camp uh. But it's a fun movie. Check it out. I think it came out in like two thousand two or something. Yeah, and there, I have two there copies are, for some strange reason. Uh, there, there are a handful of AMDA graduates. A lot of in it's it. the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, like bunch of graduates. So they must have all met in school and were like, "Let's make a movie about theater." Let's make a movie about what we did in school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that it is. It's turkey time. So it this is. will be coming out a couple days before Thanksgiving. Happy two days before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, it is a holiday that I, um, oh, I love. I have such warm feelings about it, but the older I get, the more conflicted I am about celebrating, you know. <laughs> I, I celebrate much like Christmas since I am not of the super religious um, sect. Uh, I, I'm celebrating uh, thankfulness for what I have and my family and my friends and what I'm grateful for. I, it is not, to me, a meal about us stealing um, a country from people yeah, and well, giving them diseases. But this year it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stay home. <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to get political in here, but I'm just saying, don't go see your family. Do you say Do I? you? <laughs> Do you try to not get political I on here? Because you fail. To, I try not to, but that is who I am. And if you listen to this, then you supposedly at least 
like me somewhat. So um, I am a very political person. And I, uh, unless you have been quarantined for more than 14 days and everybody else that is going to be with you has been quarantined for an in total of 14 days, you should not be gathering for Thanksgiving. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say about that. Um, so I hope everyone has yummy Thanksgiving, like, in small groups. We're going to get, uh, I can't, can I say where we're getting Thanksgiving from? Yeah, just because we're not getting paid by them doesn't mean we can't say they're awesome. We've been getting meals from HelloFresh a lot lately, and they will be, it's it's delicious. They are not sponsors, but if you happen to have a connection to HelloFresh in in any way and want to reach out and let them know that that we would love to take an advertising sponsorship from them, that'd be great. Oh my Um, God, please. But they're the best. HelloFresh is is banging food, and this year they are doing, and maybe every year they do, I don't know, uh, they're sending out Thanksgiving meals. Um, We got the turkey dinner. There was also a beef brisket option. Uh, Beef tenderloin. Beef tenderloin option. Um, And uh, it's going to be way more food than the two of us can eat for Thanksgiving. Challenge accepted. So we'll be having Thanksgiving leftovers for like a year. Which is not a year. Uh, Kind of the best part of Thanksgiving is leftovers. So I'm just saying, we're going to make a, what's the, what's the uh, sandwich? in The gobbler. The gobbler. (laughs) The wawa. No, uh, the moist maker. The, uh, she makes like, there's like, she like soaks the bread in like turkey gravy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my mouth just started watering. I've not had enough food today. Yeah. Also, <laughs> half of our listeners just turned off the podcast when you use the word moist. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Because <laughs> I like that word, much like some other words that people don't like. <laughs> I'm controversial in that in that aspect. But other than that, um, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I think we should uh, talk about. It's November still. Yeah, this is our is our last November episode. This this will be our yeah actually that that um kind of dovetails into the fun facts that I have prepared. Oh, fabulous! Kind I, of I not, segue not really. without trying to segue. Look at that. It it just sort of dovetails into my my prepared statements that lead into fun facts. Your prepared statements. Yeah. I feel like we're in a courtroom right now. No, I just actually type shit up. Um, Oh, you prepared. Yeah, I got oh. I got ready. Sometimes we do some work for this podcast. Sometimes. I did, I did the pre-pro. Pre-pro? Pre-pro? Yeah, pre-pro, pre-production. I did some work. <laughs> uh, so, yes, this is the fourth and final installment of our Poirot Movember. Movember! Um, a reminder, uh, go ahead and check the, the little description in the show notes of this episode i'll have a link to my movember page where you can check out pictures of my mustache which is actually looking kind of mustachey these days yay um so yes our poirot movember uh where i grow a mustache and we read stories by dame agatha christie she's she's the dame now dame christie uh towards the end of her life Mm -hmm. was known by another name which I don't know has if it's come up or not, but she she also had the moniker Lady Malwin. I did not know that. <laughs> this is because the wife of a knight, K. 
can be referred to as Lady, insert the knight's last name here, and Christie's second husband, Max Mallowan, was knighted by the Queen of England for his archaeological work three years before Christie was made a dame for her work in literature. Hot damn, that is a power couple. <laughs> so... Sir Max Edgar Lucian Mallowin, who Lucian. I yeah, who I would swear was the model for Poirot, if it weren't for the fact that um, Agatha didn't meet him until seven years after Poirot was published. Oh my God! I'm showing a picture of Poirot that we will also put up online for our listeners or of of Mallowin for for our listeners he's to like look the at. perfect like combination in this picture of poirot and sherlock and sherlock Holmes because yeah. he's, he's got, got a, the pipe he's got a pipe but that's hilarious it's like she fell in love with her character that she wrote so yeah. much and she, then she met this guy and was like "Ooh, i'm into it um and he's so, a freaking archaeologist he's an archaeologist so super smart so he's like um, indiana jones meets two of the world's famous detectives. yeah okay. so um so this guy who i would swear is who Poirot was based on, but obviously not, uh, was born in 1904. This makes him almost 14 years younger than Agatha Christie. Yeah, yeah, girl, work. <laughs> She's like, mm, I'm just going to go get me a young boy. Little boy toy. I survived this divorce with this stupid-ass man that made me disappear for days upon end, and I'm going to find me a boy toy. Now, uh, Dame Christie had a well-documented love of traveling. Yes. In 1928, while she was in the midst of separating with uh, Archie... Archie. Archie. Archie Christie. uh, While she was in in the midst of that, she took the Orient Express (laughs) to Baghdad. Okay. Where she met and befriended an archaeologist named Leonard Woolley. Okay. They became friends, and two years later, Wooly invited her to come explore the site that he was working on, and the then 25-year-old archaeologist, Max Mallowin, led Christie and a small group of visitors on a tour of the dig. Clearly, they hit it off, because seven months later, they were married. Hot <laughs> damn. So she's like 40. She's 39. She's he's 25. That's... Girl, mad respect. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> She's like, mm, you. <laughs> so as Christie's career skyrocketed, so did Malwin's. Uh, in fact, he only slowed down briefly to serve in the RAF Reserve during World War II. Ooh, my dad was in the RAF. Where he eventually rose to the rank of wing commander. Okay. Uh, post-war, he continued to work um, both on digs and in academia. He got fellowships and professorships. Mm-hmm. It's a hard word to say. Professorships. Professorships. Um, at several prestigious universities. Uh, and he continued to joy- enjoy success, although clearly not notoriety, equal to his wife's. Um, different, very different uh, genres very, they were yeah, working in. Yeah. Um, the only famous archaeologist you really know about is Indiana, is Indiana Jones, Jones yeah. and National Treasure guy. Is he considered an archaeologist? No, he's a treasure he's hunter. He's a treasure hunter. Yeah. He digs things up, but, you know. Potato, potato. <laughs> um, they were both uh, obviously given the highest honors by the queen, dame and knight, uh, and they had been married for 46 years when Christie passed away at 85 years old in 1976. So... 
Let me just clarify this. Queen Elizabeth, who is still living today, knighted them both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, first of all. Um, so, Christie passed away in 76. Okay. In 77, uh, Max Mallowan remarried to his longtime associate and fellow archaeologist, Barbara Parker. One year later, in 1978, he died. Oh. Um, he was... He was young. Uh, he was 70, I believe, or 72 or 73, oh, something like that. I guess I was in her 80s. She was 85, yeah. yeah. Um... He, uh, Max ended up being buried to, next to, next yeah. to Agatha. Um, it was, one, it was like he got married to this woman just to, like, have someone to grow old with kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Just to, to finish like, off his it's days. like, you know. Um, now, Parker ended up having a pretty good career of her own. Okay. His, his second wife, she did not become a dame, but she was, um, in the order of the British Empire, just a lower rank. Uh, one odd little final tidbit, though. Both of the ladies Malwin died at 85 years old in Wallingford, Oxfordshire, England. Christie in 1976, Parker in 1993. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's weird. So that's that's just a strange little... <laughs> that is kooky. Yeah. That is very strange. Considering they both traveled so much yeah. and, like, she was an archaeologist. I mean, clearly, that late in her life, she probably wasn't going on massive digs. But the fact that they both died, like, in, in the, the same, same town. town. Now, I assume that is That's because that is the town where yeah. the, like, Mallowan Manor or yeah. whatever was. <laughs> Mallowan Manor. Mallowan Manor. I, I was hoping that you were going to be like, fun fact, um, it was later discovered that uh, his death was suspicious. And <laughs> um. Now, uh, the fact that we landed on Mallowan Manor Ooh. is great. Oh, good. Because um, today's story is called The Tragedy at Marsden Manor. Oh, at Marsden Manor. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. Maybe this is loosely tied to some reality. Well, it's just the, the, of course, and the manor written, alliteration. This was written before she ever met this, this guy. This so. would have been written uh, seven, seven or so years before she met. I think she was just psychic. I think she <laughs> wrote her main character to resemble her future husband, knowing that her current husband was going to be a poop face. And that is the technical term for Archie. Well, she, Archie Christie. She now, wrote, now, he did give her the cool name, Agatha Christie. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He also brought her on surfing excursions, and that's lovely. Brought her on but. surfing excursions and uh, caused her to have one of the most suspicious disappearances of all time. <laughs> but, yeah. Cool. All right, I shall we? I want to do it. Let's start this fire. The Tragedy at Marsden Manor by Agatha Christie. I have been called away from town for a few days, and on my return, I found Poirot in the act of strapping up his small valise. <laughs> Wait, what's a valise? <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a briefcase, like a suitcase. <laughs> I walked in on Poirot's strapping Strap Whoa. up. Uh-oh. Whoa. <laughs> you know he was a freak. Anyway, <laughs> strapping up his small valise. Ah, bonheur. Ah, la bonheur. Ah, la bonheur. Ah, la bonheur. Ah, the boner. We've already done it. I know. Ah, la bonheur. He was strapping his valise. Ah, la bonheur. Oh, God. We're already... Sorry, everybody. We're already in. (laughs) Three sentences in. Our first penis joke. Penis jokes. 
tick if you're if you're playing campfire classics bingo penis joke go we should yep. put that up um <laughs> Ah, la bonaire, Hastings. I feared you would not have returned in time to accompany me. I, he always sounds a little Italian when I try and make him French. That's all right. I'm just going to attempt an accent today instead of making him uber American. Let's see what happens. Great. He can be generically European. Generic European. Ah, la bonaire, Hastings. I feared you would not have returned in time to accompany me. You are called away on a case then. Yes, I am bound to admit that, on the face of it, that the affair does not seem promising. The Northern Union Insurance Company has asked me to investigate the death of a Mr. Mal Travers, who a week ago insured his life with them for a large sum of 50,000 pounds. Damn, that's a lot of money back then. Life insurance? Yes, I said, much interested. There was, of course, the unusual suicide clause in the policy. In the event of his committing suicide within a year, the premiums would be forfeited. Mr. Maltravers was duly examined by the company's own doctor, and although he was a man slightly past the prime of his life, was passed as being in quite sound health. However, on Wednesday last, the day before yesterday, the body of Mr. Maltravers was found in the grounds of his house in Essex, Marsden Manor, and the cause of his death is described as some kind of internal hemorrhage. That in itself would be nothing remarkable, but sinister rumors as Mr. Maltravers' functional position have been in the air of late, and the Northern Union has ascertained beyond any possible doubt that the deceased gentleman stood upon the verge of bankruptcy. Now that alters matters considerably. Mal Travers had a beautiful young wife, and it is suggested that he got together all the ready money he could for the purpose of paying the premiums on a life insurance for his wife's benefit, and then committed suicide. Such a thing is not uncommon. In any case, my friend Alfred Wright, who is the director of Northern Union, has asked me to investigate the facts of the case. But, as I told him, I am not very hopeful of success. I love that it takes... <laughs> I have to do, like, a very offensive Italian hand gesture to keep this accent, which I don't know what it is, up. <laughs> uh, for the record, the hand gesture itself is not an offensive hand gesture. <laughs> It's like it the, is merely an offensive. Alive. It is merely an offensive stereotype of an Italian hand gesture. That is fair. Just so that those of you who are still struggling to keep up with this audio medium, <laughs> a pizza pie. He's not from Italy, y'all. He is from Belgium, and he has a French accent. So this is what I assume he sounds like <laughs> in my mind. In any case, my friend Alfred Wright, who is the director of Northern Union, has asked me to investigate the facts of the case, but, as I told him, I am not very hopeful of success. If the cause of death had been heart failure, I should have been more sanguine? 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 What's that mean? It has to do with blood. I should have been more sanguine. sanguine? In common parlance, 
what it actually means is optimistic or positive, especially in an apparently bad or difficult situation. However, it also, sanguine, has to do with uh, blood and the color of blood. Um, in uh, literary circles, it can mean blood red, and as a noun, sanguine is blood red. That's interesting because she put it in the she uh, Agatha has written it in the the first one. Yes. So I would have been more optimistic, but it's talking about death and heart failure, which is blood red. Yeah. But she's, she's a, pretty a good writer. clever. She's a clever lady. Oh, well done, she's, Miss. She's, she's well a done, good Dame Christie. Uh, that's really cool. In the case of his death, had been if the case of his death had been heart failure, I should have been more sanguine. Heart failure may always be translated as the inability of the local GP to discover what his patient really did die of. But, <laughs> oh, damn. But a hemorrhage seems fairly definite. Still, we can but make some necessary inquiries. Five minutes to pack your bag, Hastings, and we will take a taxi to Liverpool Street. <laughs> Hastings, get your shit together. I love that Hastings just walked in from a trip, and now he's like, get your shit together, let's go. That was also a hell of a monologue. Yeah, he just like, late, let's, Poirot doesn't usually talk that long, and that like, clearly like, breaking it down for Hastings. Except for right at the end when he wraps everything up. When he wraps up. everything up. But... Maybe he's trying to help Hastings figure it out. Like, he just gave him all the facts and hoping that his friend will not going, be an idiot. I've already solved this one. Yeah, like, we're going to go make some inquiries, but <laughs> I already know what happened. All right. About an hour later, we alighted from the Great Eastern train at the little station of Marsden Lay. Marsden Lee? L-E-I-G-H. I guess it could be either. Marsden Lay, Marsden Lee. Inquiries at the station yielded the information that Marsden Manor was about a mile distance. Poirot decided to walk, and we betook ourselves along the main street. What is our plan of campaign? I asked. Uh, first, we will... <laughs> uh, first... <laughs> oh, God. Ah. Also, for the record, uh, from the website of Furman University... Oh. L-E-I-G-H is pronounced either Lee or Lay. Um, I have a master's degree, so I knew that. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> just, uh, just so you know, MFA. <laughs> what is our plan of campaign, I asked. First, I will call upon the doctor. I have ascertained that there is only one doctor in Marsden Lay, Dr. Ralph Bernard. Ah. Here we are at his house. <laughs> that was convenient. <laughs> He's like, I've already figured it out. And look, look where I led us. L like, like I said, he already has he already all the knows. answers. He already knows. The house in question was a kind of superior cottage standing back a little from the road. A brass plate on the gate bore the doctor's name. We passed up the path and rang the bell. We proved to be fortunate in our call. It was the doctor's consulting hour, and for the moment there were no patients waiting for him. Dr. Bernard was an elderly man, high-shouldered and stooping, with a pleasant vagueness of manner. Poirot introduced himself and explained the purpose of our visit, adding that insurance companies were bound to investigate fully in a case of this kind. 
Is it weird that if someone's name is Bernard, I immediately trust them? If their name is Bernard, I do not. That's interesting because I did the play Arcadia and I played Hannah opposite Bernard, who's a fucking twat bag. <laughs> so every time I hear Bernard, first I think very British. Um, and second, I think he's going to be a twat bag. <laughs> Fair enough. Bernard, like, seems... Bernard, no, no. I don't know. Which which isn't to say that Bernard I immediately distrust. Yeah. But, like, Bernard, for me, I'm just like that. Aww. See, see, and I, I have just have a life experience, and I'm like, oh, his name is Bernard. <laughs> yeah. I also am immediately... I guess it also depends on how you pronounce it. Yeah. I chose to pronounce it Bernard. 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 Um, I, I also have a friend from years ago who went by Bernie, uh-huh. um, and so I have, I have that association. Yeah. I have positive associations with, with the, the version of it that is Bernie. The Bernie, yeah. Um, that, that have nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. <laughs> healthcare for all. Speaking of healthcare. Oh, he's a doctor. Let's talk to this doctor. <laughs> Of course, of course, said Dr. Bernard vaguely. I suppose as he was such a rich man, his life was insured for a big sum. Uh, You considered him a rich man, doctor. The doctor looked rather surprised. Was he not? He kept two cars, you know, and Marsden Manor is a pretty big place to keep up, although I believe he bought it very cheap. I understand that he had a considerable losses of late, said Poirot, watching the doctor narrowly. The latter, however, merely shook his head sadly. Is that so? Indeed. It is fortunate for his wife, then, that there is life insurance. A very beautiful and charming young creature, but terribly unstrung by this sad catastrophe. A mass of nerves, poor thing. I have tried to spare her all I can, but of course the shock was bound to be considerable. You have been attending Mr. Maltravers recently? My dear sir, I never attended him. What? I understand Mr. Maltravers was a Christian scientist or something of that kind. (laughs) Are these like Scientologists? Christian science is a set of beliefs and practices belonging to the metaphysical family of new religious movements. It was developed in the 19th century in New England by Mary Baker Eddy, who argued in her 1875 book, Science and Health, that sickness is an illusion (laughs) that can be corrected by prayer alone. The book became Christian Science's central text, along with the Bible, and by 2001 had sold over 9 million copies. So basically it's Scientology. It's some writer wrote a fucking book and a bunch of, I'm not going to be judgmental, crazies decided to make a religion out of it. It's a good thing you decided to take the non-judgmental high ground. (laughs) Y'all, not... You know what? Books are sometimes just books, and you you know you take some lessons from them, and that's great. But like, get your children vaccinated. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. <laughs> all right, here we go. I understand Mr. Maltravers was a Christian scientist or something like that kind. But you examined the body. 
Certainly. I was fetched by one of the undergardeners. It's an undergardener. <laughs> sounds that sounds like a one of those spas you go to and get get trimmed up for a beach day. <laughs> the esthetician is what they're called, but <laughs> undergardener, a a a a garden for your pubic topiary. <laughs> An undergardener. I'm guessing it's just one of the lower like yeah, yeah. an assistant gardener. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly what you actually thought, yeah. not the dirty not thing you the pretended dirty to thing think. I pretended. Well, I kind of thought that too, because that's the very the first thought I had was that, and then I went, <laughs> "Well, no, that would not be a thing, probably at this time in the world." If this was taking place in L.A. now, undergardener, absolutely. Well, and like, they had merkins. Yes, they did, but that was to cover up syphilis and disease and prostitutes. Well, I'm just saying, if they had Merkins, it's not such a stretch to think they had people who specialized in styling pubic hair. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> Certainly, I was fetched by one of the undergardeners. Snip, snip. <laughs> and the cause of death was clear. Absolutely. There was blood on the lips, but most of the bleeding must have been internal. Was he still lying where he had been found? Yes, the body had not been touched. He was lying at the edge of a small plantation. He had evidently been out shooting rooks. A small rook rifle lay beside him. The hemorrhage must have occurred quite suddenly. Gastric ulcer, without a doubt. No question of his having been shot, eh? My dear sir. <laughs> I demand pardon, said Poirot humbly. But if my memory is not a fault, in the case of a recent murder, the doctor first gave a verdict of heart failure, altering it when the local constable pointed out that there was a bullet wound through his head. <laughs> Oh my god! No wonder Poirot is like they always say heart failure if they don't know. How stupid is how stupid are these doctors? Well, and not for not like I acknowledge I don't have a medical degree. <laughs> I have far you, you from you know a medical you know degree. you know I don't have a yeah. medical degree. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, we have a degree in speaking. Um, and listener, lest you you be confused i don't have a medical degree however i am fairly certain that i could pick out a bullet hole in a head if i was examining a person absolutely if like if their head was exposed and not covered up by something or you know yeah i, I yeah i would see that Pro- probably wouldn't even take that much examining <laughs> i would Let's walk in the real. room and be like ah <laughs> hey look that's a hole in their head so, yeah, so Poirot doesn't trust these doc- these country doctors, apparently. Countrified doctors. Countrified doctors. Hashtag countrified. Uh, you will not find any bullet wounds on the body of Mr. Maltravers, said Dr. Bernard dryly. Now, gentlemen, if there is nothing further, we took the hint. <laughs> Good morning, and many thanks to you, Doctor, for so kindly answering our questions. Uh, By the way, you saw no need for an autopsy? Certainly not. The Doctor became quite apoplectic. The cause of death was clear, and in my profession, we see no need to distress unduly the relatives of a dead patient. (laughs) 
Wow. Sign me up, guys. This guy sounds like a great doctor. Sounds like I could be a doctor back in the <laughs> Well, really, turn of the century. I mean, like, I think of checkoff plays and stuff, and doctors were not as nearly as highly respected as they are now. <laughs> it was like they believed in science and stuff, but you know, they didn't go to school for 8, 10, 12, 20 years, you know? Like, it was, it was like, meh, I don't even a doctor. <laughs> Here, I've got some potions. Um, and turning, the doctor slammed the door sharply in our faces. And what do you think of Dr. Bernard Hastings? inquired Poirot as we proceeded on our way to the manor. Rather an old ass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hastings, for clearing the air on what we all were thinking. <laughs> uh, not, not. Not to nitpick, but do you have to pick on the guy's ass? I mean, if he's a doctor, he probably doesn't have time to work out. And he's got as a we get soggy ass. And as we get older, things soggy, it's saggy. Harder butt. to it's harder to keep things perky. Tight. <laughs> Rather an old ass. I guess we give that a different read. Rather an old ass. <laughs> So what do you think, Hastings? Rather an old ass. Exactly. Your judgments of character are always profound, my friend. <laughs> I glanced at him uneasily, but he seemed perfectly serious. A twinkle, however, came into his eye, and he added shyly, That is to say, where there is no question of a beautiful woman. <laughs> that is to say, where there is no question of a beautiful woman. I looked at him coldly. <laughs> on, our, <laughs> on our arrival at the manor house, the door was opened to us by a middle-aged parlor maid. Poirot handed her his card and a letter from the insurance company for Miss, Mrs. Maltravers. She showed us into a small morning room and retired to tell her mistress. About ten minutes elapsed and then the door opened and a slender figure in widow's weeds stood upon the threshold. Woo, that's a fun widow's sentence. Weeds. Widow's weeds stood upon the threshold. Monsieur Poirot, she faltered. Madame Poirot sprang gallantly to his feet and hastened towards her. I cannot tell you how I regret to derange derange you in this way but what will you la affaire mm, les affaires they know no mercy these affairs these affairs yeah these yeah i i i, I hate to ask questions right now it's hard but we need to know the answer i hate to upset you but shit's yeah. fucked up les affaires they have no mercy mrs maltravis permitted him to lead her to a chair her eyes were red with weeping but the temporary disfigurement could not conceal her extraordinary beauty she was about 27 or 8 and very fair with large blue eyes and a pretty pouting mouth. What did Poirot just tell you about your ability <laughs> to, like, to distinguish a person's character? From women. Come on, Hastings. Only in women. Yep. <laughs> he said, you're really good so long as it's not a beautiful woman. And the next person you describe is, is all pouty lips and, and come beautiful on, beautiful blue eyes and yeah, Hastings. Hastings has a weakness for the ladies, that's for sure. <laughs> is it something about my husband's insurance? Is it? 
but must I be bothered now, so soon? Courage, my dear madam, courage! You see, your late husband insured his life for a rather large sum, and in such a case as the company always has to satisfy itself as to a few details, they have empowered me to act for them. You can rest assured that I will do all in my power to render the matter not too unpleasant for you. Uh, will you recount to me briefly the sad events of Wednesday? I was changing for tea when my maid came up. Uh, one of the gardeners had just run to the house. He had found... Her voice trailed away. Poirot pressed her hand sympathetically. I comprehend enough. You had seen your husband earlier in the afternoon? Not since lunch. I had walked down to the village for some stamps, and I believe he was out pottering round the grounds. Shooting rooks, eh? Yes, he usually took his little rifle with him, and I heard one or two shots in the distance. Where is the little rook rifle now? In the hall, I think. He led the way out of she led the way out of the room and found and handed the little weapon to Poirot, who examined it curiously. Two shots fired, I see, he observed as he handed it back. And now, madam, if I might see... He paused delicately. The servant shall take you, she murmured, averting her head. The parlor-maid summoned... The parlor-maid summoned led Poirot upstairs. I remained with the lovely and unfortunate woman. It was hard to know whether to speak or remain silent. I essayed one or two general reflections to which she responded absently, and in a few minutes Poirot rejoined us. I thank you for your courtesy, madam. I do not think you need to be troubled any further with this matter. With this matter. <laughs> By the way, do you know anything of your husband's financial position? She shook her head. Nothing whatsoever. I am very stupid over business things. I see. Then you can give us no clue as to why he suddenly decided to insure his life? He had not done so previously, I understand. Well, we had only been married a little over a year, but as to why he insured his life, it was because he had absolutely made up his mind that he would not live long. He had a strong premonition of his own death. I gather that he had had one hemorrhage already and that he knew another would prove fatal. I tried to dispel those gloomy fears of his, but without avail. Alas, he was only too right. Tears in her eyes, she bade us a dignified farewell. Poirot made a characteristic gesture as we walked down the drive together. Eh bien! That is that. Back to London, my friend. There appears to be no mouse in the mouse hole, and yet... Yet what? A slight discrepancy, that is all. You noticed it? You did not? Still, life is full of discrepancies, and assuredly the man cannot have taken his life. There is no poison that would fill his mouth with blood. No, no. I must resign myself to the fact that he, all here is clear and above board. But who is this? A tall young man was striding up the drive towards us. He passed us without making any sign, but I noted that he was not ill-looking, with a lean, deeply bronzed face that spoke of life in a tropic climate. 
A gardener who was sweeping up leaves had paused for a minute in his task, and Poirot ran quickly to him. Tell me, I pray you, who is that gentleman? Do you know him? I don't remember his name, sir, though I did hear it. He was staying down here last week for a night. Tuesday it was. Quick, mon ami, let us follow him. <laughs> of course, this isn't because he thinks he's a suspect. It's just because he's he, all pretty and tan. He's pretty tan. And he's like, I want to know where he's from. <laughs> I want to go wherever he just got back from. He looks like he had a great day on the beach. This is the vacation equivalent to I'll have what she's having. Yeah, right? <laughs> or maybe Poirot's a little vicarious. Guess we never do. I mean, he's never married. Yeah, to my knowledge, that is a non-issue. All right. To my knowledge. Good to know. Uh, we hastened up the drive after the retreating figure, a glimpse of a black-robed figure on the terrace at the side of the house, and our query swerved, and we after him, so that we were witnesses of the meeting. Mrs. Maltravers almost staggered where she stood, and her face blanched noticeably. You, she gasped, I thought you were on the sea on your way to East Africa. I got some news from my lawyers that detained me, explained the young man. My old uncle in Scotland died unexpectedly and left me some money. Under the circumstances, I thought it better to cancel my passage. Then I saw this bad news in the paper, and I came down to see if there was anything I could do. You'll want someone to look after things for you a bit, perhaps. At that moment, they became aware of our presence. <gasps> that was a lot of information before they were like, there's people watching us. See, this is why I always look around before I speak. <laughs> especially... When it's like especially someone's died recently. when someone has died and I've just collected a large amount of money through mysterious and possibly illicit mm -hmm. set of circumstances. Yep. Poirot stepped forward with many apologies, explained that he had left his stick in the hall. Rather reluctantly, it seemed to me, Mrs. Maltravers made the necessary introduction. Monsieur Poirot, Captain Black. A few minutes... Is, is he a pirate? Captain Black. Captain Black! I want to go back and read You have that. to go back and reread all his I lines. I got some news from me lawyers that detained me. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. A few minutes' chat ensued in the course of which Poirot elicited the fact that Captain Black was putting up at the Anchor Inn. <laughs> He's staying at the Anchor Inn. The missing stick not having been discovered, which was not surprising, Poirot uttered more <laughs> apologies and we withdrew. <laughs> we returned to the village at a great pace and Poirot had a beeline for the Anchor Inn. Here, we establish ourselves until our friend, the captain, returns, he explained. You notice that I emphasized the point that we were returning to London by the first train? <laughs> Probably thought that I meant it, but no. You observe Mrs. Maltravers' face when she caught sight of this young Mr. Black. She was clearly taken aback. <laughs> that rhymes. <laughs> young Mr. Black, and she was clearly taken aback, and he... Back in black! Back in black! Um, uh, she was clearly taking aback, and he, eh bien, he was very devoted. Did you not think so? 
and he was there on Tuesday night, the day before Mr. Maltravers died. He, we must investigate the doings of Captain Black Hastings. In about half an hour, we es espied, espied? Espied. Espied, like. I mean. I mean, we saw. spied, we looked. We saw. <laughs> we did some spying. I came, I espied, I conquered. I conquered. Yeah, to catch sight of. Yeah. In an hour and a half, we espied our quarry approaching the inn. Poirot went out and accosted him and presently brought him up to the room we had engaged. I have been telling Captain Black of the mission which brings us here, he explained. You can understand, uh, Monsieur Le Captain, Le Capitaine, Monsieur Le Capitaine, that I am anxious to arrive at Mr. Maltravers' state of mind immediately before his death, and that at the same time I do not wish to distress Mrs. Maltravers unduly by asking her painful questions. Now, you were here just before the occurrence, and can give us equally valuable information. I'll do anything I can to help you, I'm sure, replied the young soldier, but I'm afraid I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. You see, although Maltravers was an old friend of my people's, I didn't know him very well myself. You came down when? Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I went to town early Wednesday morning as my boat sailed from T Tilbury about twelve o'clock. But some news I got made me alter my plans, as I dare say you heard me explain to Mrs. Maltravers. You were returning to East Africa, I understand. Yes, I've been out there ever since the war. A great country. Exactly. Now, what was the talk about at dinner on Tuesday night? Oh, I don't know the usual odd topics. Maltravers asked about my people, and then we discussed the question of German reparations, and then Mr. Maltravers asked a lot of questions about East Africa. I told them one or two yawns. That's about all, I think. A thank you. <laughs> I have to start a thank with you. a thank you. Just so they know it's Poirot speaking. It's a me. It's a, a Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm so sorry, everyone in Europe. Poirot was silent for a moment, and then he said gently, With your permission, I should like to try a little experiment. You have told us that all that your conscience... With your permission, I'd like to try a little experiment. You have told us all that your conscious self knows. I want now to question your subconscious self. Psychoanalysis what? Said Black with a visible alarm. <laughs> That's what it says. Psychoanalysis what? <laughs> You're going to do what to me, dude? Although I think, the, I, think the, the, I think the stuffy British pronunciation is psychoanalysis what? Psychoanalysis, what? Like sort of, no, what, what? Like, what, what? What, what? I, I, ah, I, psychoanalysis, what? I kind of like, psychoanalysis, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, Cece, when she And then finds, it cuts to the... Cece finds out that Jess and Nick kissed. New girl, A. Um, psychoanalysis, what? Said Black, with visible alarm. See, he's got visible alarm. Psychoanalysis, what? what? He said with visible alarm. 
Oh, no, said Poirot reassuringly. Oh, no, hypnosis. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you see, it, it, it is like this. I give you a word, you answer with another, and so on. Oh, it's like the first word um, that comes to mind. Word, word association. Word association. Any word, the first thing you think of. Shall we begin? All right, said Black slowly, but he looked uneasy. Note down the words, please, Hastings, said Poirot. Then he took from his pocket a big turnip-faced watch and laid it on the table beside him. Why is it turnip-faced? Is that like the, a kind of watch? Why is there a turnip, like a turnip on his watch? I don't know. I'm it's curious. like a Mickey Mouse watch, but for vegetables. <laughs> How very Robert Langdon of you. Yeah. <laughs> when you Google turnip-faced watch, the first thing that comes up is a Reddit question about... I'm reading an Agatha Christie story, and she describes Poirot's... <laughs> Really? Replaced watch as a large turnip-faced watch. Well, then I'm just going to assume that um, Poirot had a watch made with a turnip because it's his favorite vegetable. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's how I'm going. The closest thing to a response I have is, at risk of dropping into Black Adder, <laughs> it's a pocket watch that's shaped like a turnip. The case is unusually thick relative to its diameter. So it's just a thicker pocket watch. Okay. Okay. I still like that it's like a Mickey Mouse watch, but it's just shaped like a turnip, and it's because he loves turnips. <laughs> Great. I can get on board with that. <laughs> I get down with that. All right. Dot dee dot dot da. So we're going we're about to like do some word association games. This will be fun. A note down the words, Hastings, please, said Poirot. Then he took from his pocket his big turnip-faced watch and laid it on the table beside him. We will commence. Day. There was a moment's pause, and then Black replied, Night. Oh, day is the first word. <laughs> I thought it was a French word. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought it was like, we will commence. All right. <laughs> day. We shall commence. D'accord. <laughs> Please keep that in. Day. Oh, nope. That. Uh, nope. We will commence. Day. There was a moment's pause, and then Black replied, Night. As Poirot proceeded, his answers came quicker. Nay, said Poirot. Place. Bernard. Shaw. Tuesday. Dinner. Journey. Oh, God, I could, there's no way I'm doing the Italian shit between these. <laughs> uh, journey, ship, country, Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> Who says Uganda is the first country? I guess he... he he's, that's where he's been that's coming where from. where he's been stationed and, like, yeah, okay. But still, it's <laughs> pretty fucking funny. <laughs> like, country, Luxembourg. <laughs> Country, the Grand Duchy of Fenwick. <laughs> That's a deep cut for you real Peter Sellers fans out there. Yeah, I don't even know what that was. It's the mouse that roared. Good job. I, yep, great. Uh, country, Uganda, story, lions. Rook rifle, farm, shot, suicide, elephant, tusks. 
Money. Lawyers. Thank you, Captain Black. Perhaps you could spare me a few minutes in about half an hour's time? Certainly. The young soldier looked at him curiously and wiped his brow as he got up. Uh-oh, he's sweating. He's having a Rudy Giuliani moment. <laughs> and now, Hastings, said Poirot, smiling at me at the door, but as the door closed behind him, you see it all now, do you not? I don't know what you mean. Does this list of words tell you nothing? I scrutinized it, but was forced to shake my head. I will assist you. To begin with, Black answered well within the normal time limit, with no pauses, so we can take it that he himself has no guilty knowledge to conceal. Day to night, place to name, are normal associations. I began work with Bernard, which might have suggested the local doctor that he had come across him at all. Evidently, he had not. After our recent conversation, he gave dinner to my Tuesday, but journey and country were answered by ship and Uganda, showing clearly that it was his journey abroad that was important to him, and not the one which brought him down here. Story recalls to him one of the lion stories he told at dinner. I proceeded to rook rifle, and he answered with the totally unexpected word farm. When I say shot, he answers at once suicide. The association seems clear. A man he knows committed suicide with a rook rifle on a farm somewhere. Remember, too, that his mind is still on the stories he had told at dinner, and I think you will agree that I shall not be far from the truth if I recall Captain Black and ask him to repeat the particular suicide story which he had told at dinner on Tuesday evening. Black was straightforward enough over the matter. Yes, I did tell them that story now that I come to think of it. Chap shot himself on a farm out there, did it with a rook rifle through the roof of his mouth, bullet lodged in the brain. Doctors were no end puzzled over it. There was nothing to show except a little blood on his lips. But what, what has that got to do with Mr. Maltravers? You did not know, I see, that he was found with a rook rifle by his side. You mean my story suggested to him? Oh, but that is awful. Oh, do not distress yourself. It would have been one way or another. Well, I must get on the telephone to London. Poirot had a lengthy conversation over the wire and came back thoughtfully. He went off by himself in the afternoon, and it was not until seven o'clock that he announced he could be put off no longer, but must break the news to the young widow. My sympathy had already gone out to her unreservedly. To be left penniless and with the knowledge that her husband had killed himself to assure her future was a hard burden for any woman to bear. I cherished a secret hope, however, that young Black might prove capable of consoling her after her, after her first grief was passed. He's like, oh, I hope they get married. That'd be At nice. At least they can hook up. Like, I hope they, they get the hibbity-dibbity going, because she's just going to be so sad, and she's so beautiful and, like, trustworthy. I, I have a feeling there's another twist. Our interview with the lady was painful. She refused vehemently to believe the facts that Poirot advanced, and when she was at last convinced, broke down into bitter weeping. An examination of the body turned our suspicions into certainty. 
Poirot was very sorry for the poor lady, but after all, he was employed by the insurance company, and what could he do? As he was preparing to leave, he said gently to Mrs. Maltravers, Madame, you of all people should know that there are no dead. What do you mean? she faltered, her eyes growing wide. Have you never taken part in a spiritualistic seances? You are medium-mystic, you know. I have been told so, but you do not believe in spiritualism, surely. How did you figure that out? <laughs> Madame, I have seen some strange things. You know that they... Madame, I have seen some strange things. You know that they say in the village that this house is haunted? What the fuck just happened? Oh, he's he's talking shit because there is another piece of yeah, evidence and he's he trying found, to get well, her to, to... To, like, break, to open up. Because he disappeared for a few hours. Yeah. She nodded, and at that moment, the parlor maid announced that dinner was ready. Won't you just stay and have something to eat? We accepted gracefully, and I felt that our presence could not but help distract her from her own griefs. We had just finished our soup when there was a scream outside the door and the sound of a breaking cock. <laughs> breaking cock. <laughs> That's not what it says. No, although that would cause a scream. <laughs> a breaking crock. <laughs> I, I would I would scream too. <laughs> oh my god. We had just finished our soup when there was a scream outside the door and the sound of a breaking crockery. We jumped up. The parlor maid appeared, her hand on her heart. It was a man standing in the passage. Poirot rushed out, returning quickly. There is no one there. Is it there, sir? said the parlor maid weakly. Oh, it did give me a start. But why? She dropped her voice to a whisper. I thought, I thought it was the master. It looked like him. I saw Mrs. Maltravers give a terrified start, and my mind flew to the old superstition that a suicide cannot rest. She thought of it too, I am sure, for a minute later. She caught Poirot's arm with a scream. Didn't you hear that? Those three taps on the window? That's how he always used to tap when he passed around the house. The ivy, I cried. It was the ivy against the pane. But a sort of terror was gaining on all of us. The parlourmaid was obviously unstrung, and when the meal was over, Mrs. Maltravers besought Poirot not to go at once. She was clearly terrified to be left alone. We sat in the little morning room. The wind was getting up and moaning round the house in an eerie fashion. Twice the door of the room came unlatched and the door opened suddenly, and each time she clung to me with terrified grasp. Ah, but this door, it is bewitched, cried Poirot angrily at last. He got up and shut it once more, then turned the key in the lock. I shall lock it, so. Don't do that, she grasped. If it should come open now... And even as she spoke, the impossible happened. The locked door slowly swung open. I could not see into the passage from where I sat, but she and Poirot were facing it. She gave one long shriek as she turned to him. You saw him there in the passage, she cried. He was staring down at her with a puzzled face, then shook his head. I saw him, 
My husband, you, you must have seen him too. Madame, I saw nothing. You are not well, unstrung. I am perfectly well, oh God. Suddenly, without warning, the lights quivered and went out. What the hell's going on? Out of the darkness came three loud raps. I could hear Mrs. Maltravers moaning. And then I saw. The man I had seen on the bed upstairs stood there facing us, gleaming with a faint ghostly light. There was blood on his lips, and he held his right hand out pointing. It was very Charles Dickens meets the... <laughs> Suddenly... A very Charles Dickens meets fucking meets, Banquo. Yeah, like, what the... Like, point, just pointing with blood on his lips. Uh... Suddenly, a brilliant light seemed to proceed from it. It passed over Poirot and me and fell on Mrs. Maltravers. I saw her white, terrified face and something else. My God, Poirot, I cried. Look at her hand, her right hand. It's all red. Well, now it's got, she's like Lady Macbeth, blood on her hands. Banquo. Yeah. Her own eyes fell on it and she collapsed in a heap on the floor. Blood, she cried hysterically. Yes, it's blood. I killed him. I did it. He was showing me, and then I, I put my hand on the trigger and pressed. Save me from him. Save me. He's come back. Oh, damn. He just fucking shakespeare this bitch. <laughs> oh, my this is, God. It's, 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 uh, this is, now this is Hamlet's play. He just shakespeare this bitch. Like, straight up. <laughs> That's, <laughs> damn. Her voice died away in a gurgle. Lights, said Poirot briskly. <laughs> he did. Mm -hmm. He, he Hamleted. Yeah. He, uh, what does he call it? The mousetrap. Yeah. A Fuck. later Agatha Christie play. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the lights went on as if by magic. That's, that's it, he continued. You heard Hastings and you... Everett, oh, uh, by the way, this is Mr. Everett, rather a fine member of the theatrical profession. I phoned on him this morning. His makeup is quite good, isn't it? Quite like a dead man with a pocket torch and the necessary phosphorescence. <laughs> and the necessary phosphorescence, he made the proper impressions. I shouldn't touch her right now if I were you, Hastings. Red paint marks so. When the lights went up, I clasped her hand, you see. By the way, you mustn't, we mustn't miss our train. He put red paint on her hands. <laughs> oh my God. Poirot, you clever, clever what a fucking bitch. dick. Oh my God, amazing. He just like out damn spots her. <laughs> it's amazing. When the lights went out, I clasped her hand, you see. Oh, by the way, we mustn't miss our train. Inspector Jap is outside the window. A bad night, but he has been able to while away the time by tapping on the window every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> you see, continued Poirot, as we walked briskly through the wind and rain, there was a little discrepancy. The doctor seemed to think the deceased was a Christian scientist, and who could have given him that impression but Mrs. Maltravers? But to us, she represented him as in a great state of apprehension about his own health. Again, why was she to so taken back by the reappearance of young Black? And lastly, 
Although I know that convention decries a woman must make a decent pretense of mourning for her husband, I do not care for such heavily rouged eyelids. You did not observe them, Hastings? No. As I always tell you, you see nothing, especially with women. Well, there it is. There were two possibilities. Did Black's story suggest an ingenious method of committing suicide to Mr. Maltravers? Or did his other listener, the wife, see an equally ingenious method of committing murder? I incline to the latter view. To shoot himself in the way indicated, he would probably have to pull the trigger with his toe, or at least so I imagine. Now, if Maltravers had been found with one boot off, we would most certainly have found it from someone. An odd detail like that would have been remembered. No, as I say, I incline to the view that it was a case of murder, not suicide. But I realized I had a not a shadow of proof in supporting my theory. Hence the elaborate little comedy you saw played tonight. <laughs> Even now, I don't quite see all the details of the crime, I said. Let us start from the... Let... Fuck Let's start from the very, very beginning. beginning. A very good place to start. All right, here we go. He's going to sum it up. All right. Let us start from the beginning. Here is a shrewd and scheming woman who, knowing of her husband's financial debacle and tired of the elderly mate she had only married for his money, induces him to insure his life for a large sum and then seeks for means to accomplish her purpose. An accident gives her that. The young soldier's strange story. The next afternoon, when Monsieur Le Capitaine, as she thinks, is on the high seas, she and her husband are strolling round the grounds. What a curious story that was last night, she observes. Could a man shoot himself in such a way? Do show me if that's possible. The poor fool. He shows her. Dumb. He places the end of the rifle in his mouth. She stoops down and puts her finger on the trigger, laughing at him. And now, sir, she says saucily, supposing I pull the trigger. And then, and then, Hastings, she pulls it. The end. <laughs> Abruptly. Well, she's not nice. No, she is a fucking twat bag. But he's not smart. No, her husband was not smart, clearly. Like, she manipulated the shit out of him. Well, she's also, like, honey, can we take out a life insurance plan? If anyone's ever like, yeah, can you just do that? Like, like that's never a good sign. No, that's never a good sign. But also, like, you don't put the barrel of a gun in your mouth. Ever. A loaded gun. Ever. In your mouth. Like, not for nothing, Ever. but even if that fucker is unloaded and the barrel is plugged, I'm thinking yeah. like, nah. Nope. Nah. Nope. It's just not a good look. It's not a good look. Not a good look. Not, not super smart. Not going to play that game. You know, um, <laughs> I love that he just set up a fucking, like, Shakespeare, like, I love... That he was like, I'm going to, like, first of all, he found out the house was haunted, which was a random, like, fact that we didn't know. Um, 
And second of all, then calls in his, like, actor buddy to, like, come up and fuck with this woman. Probably, like, he'd probably put an ad on Craigslist. <laughs> on on early 20th century Craigslist. So the newspaper? <laughs> yes, but it's a newspaper run by a guy named Craig. I, <laughs> your brother ran it? My brother ran a newspaper 65 years before he was born. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, maybe that was his, like first life yeah or previous life his previous life his last life i would actually be super interested to see a production of a christmas carol Mm -hmm. that was that okay where it's scrooge's like neighbors fucking with him oh that just messed with my mind like it's it's like it's it's, bob cratchit or or his nephew or or his nephew or the 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 charity collectors or whatever and they've gotten together and they've decided we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna gonna fuck up this dude's night we're gonna fuck him up hardcore with the best theatrical production that's ever been put on and the whole thing like takes place they gave him some mushrooms they, they get him <laughs> they gave him some like his soup or whatever his gruel was that night yeah they got they got it they put some hallucinogens in it and he just like and the whole thing takes place in his living room and like the street in front of his house yeah. and, they and they get like a bunch of actors they get like six other people together to just walk past and convince him that tiny tim's not actually even like handicapped in any way shape or form he's just like <laughs> oh no oh no that's you know what that's a good idea for a play like because uh, it's right? it's in public domain and uh now you can like twist the characters and make it all a psychological like fuck fuck it up <laughs> all right that that next time I watch Christmas Carol, I'm gonna be like You're gonna be looking looking for ways to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the next time we watch Christmas Carol is probably gonna be Muppets Christmas Carol. And it's probably gonna be on Friday. Yep. Ah, yep. yep. After after Turkey Day. Yep. Happy Turkey Day. I'm freaking hungry. Yeah. <laughs> My stomach kept growling during that one. Yeah, I'm a little we hungry. all we also started talking about turkeys. We so. started talking about food right at the beginning, which is always a mistake. Oh, we love our food here. So anyway, uh, that was a crazy ass story. Um, yeah. And uh, that was the end of our Poirot. Was... I know you're all gonna miss my delightful Poirot accent. At least this <laughs> time I tried. <laughs> At least this time I. I don't know where I was most of the time. But... He he bounced back and forth mostly between Italian and Irish. Yeah, yeah. As most of my accents do <laughs> when I don't know what I'm doing. Um. All right, I think that's it. Yeah, visit our website. Uh, please share us. That if you're still listening um, and you like us, um, share us because we like you. Um, we love doing this, and uh, we want to keep bringing you some silly and some fun in the world. Yeah. Uh, send us story suggestions, author suggestions, anything um, rough. I mean, like what are our best stories are between like three thousand and like six thousand words. Yeah, anything over 6,000 words and the episode starts getting really long mm-hmm. and um, usually by the end of a 6,000 word story, I've had time to pour my third drink, so my diction is going to get really bad. <laughs> yeah, if, we've had, if you've gotten a third whiskey, that, then uh, Poirot's accent would start getting real weird. It's going to start getting really Jamaican.
another accent I have no depth, <laughs> no nor reason to know how to do really honestly. Um, yeah, send us stories, do things, tell your friends. Love us. We love you. Thank you for joining us here on Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf.